I have come to the realization today that I am in love. I'm in love with a man and I cannot hide it any longer than I already have. I've been denying it for too long, but I really need to share this with you guys because it's been it's been a little bit since I have uploaded an episode and um we'll get into that, but I just need to get this off my chest. I have come to the realization. I have found the light and I am ready to share that I have fallen in love with a man. And that man's name is David Arquette. <laughs> I'm in love with David Arquette. <laughs> and this all stems from, this realization stems from me not knowing what to do with this podcast. I had a little bit of a mental breakdown. Actually, I don't want to say a mental breakdown, but I had a little bit of a maybe imposter syndrome issue going on. Um, I didn't know what to do. I don't, I still don't know what to do with the podcast. Uh, I feel kind of like a failure. I feel a lot of things. I, um, the reason why I have not posted in like two weeks, three weeks, I don't know, depending on how long it takes me to get to this edit this episode, but I actually did record an episode, um, more than once, but I ended up scrapping it because I was just not happy with the outcome. I felt it was boring. I felt I wasn't really saying much. I was stretching out little to like, I was stretching out not that much content to fit a certain amount of time. And I felt like I had some interesting discussion in the episode. It, in case you were wondering, because I don't think I'm going to do this episode. Um, I, because I already recorded it twice. Okay. And I don't want to fucking do it again, <laughs> but it was Alfred Hitchcock's movie Rope from 1948. And if you don't know, that movie is extremely gay. It is probably the gayest movie I've ever seen. And I thought I had some interesting discussion on subtext and kind of my relationship or my discovery of subtext in film and how it is everywhere, even when it might not have intentionally been put in there. And I thought that was all good and interesting, but that was like a 20 minute section of an hour and a half podcast. So I recorded it twice. I hated both. So I scrapped it and I've been feeling just very down. I haven't been wanting to record. I haven't really been in a movie watching mood. I've been wanting to watch TV shows, but I, yeah, I didn't know what to do. And in the last episode, I was like, trying to, in my re-record of an episode I already recorded, I was trying to, well, I, well, I discussed these issues in the last recording that I scrapped. And I was, while I was doing the podcast, I was trying to come up with like ways I could become excited about what I'm talking about, or maybe come up with a series that I could do. And I came with the idea because I record in my room in front of my ridiculous movie shelf. And I was looking at like old DVDs that I haven't watched in 15 years, at least, like at least at the very least, I kind of felt the, the need to revisit these movies. And I was like, oh, my next episode is going to revisit childhood favorites. So I compiled a list of childhood favorites. And 
I'm sorry to say this episode is not a revisit of childhood favorites, except for one of the movies is, which my intention going into watching the movie that I am about to discuss and, or my intention behind that was to make an episode based on my childhood favorites. But I realized while watching this movie, just how good David Arquette is. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to watch another David Arquette movie. So I did. And then I thought, you know what? I'm going to watch another David Arquette movie. So I did. And I just kind of want to talk about that. This episode will be a little different, I think. I say that every episode, like I need to just shut up and do it. But I, I don't know. I want to do maybe this will be shorter. I don't know. I don't really have that much to say. I kind of just want to chit chat. This might be a shorter episode. I don't know why in my brain I was like, these episodes need to be an hour and 15 minutes or an hour to 30 minutes. Like that is my goal. Like, why is that my goal? Maybe I don't have that much to say. And right now I feel a little bit of a, I don't know, I guess imposter or something. I don't know. So I just feel like I'm discouraged from saying anything. I don't know. I, I'm in a weird place at the moment. School has started back up again and it kind of fucking sucks. I'm not going to lie. I hate school. I hate grad school. I hate my job. I want to quit. And yeah. Um, so today, thankfully due to living in Michigan, I get crazy weather. And as the day of recording this, cause I don't know how long it'll take me to edit this. Usually I edit it right away, but I'm not in the fucking mood to do that. And I'm kind of busy. So I don't know how long this will be, but as of recording this, a huge snowstorm hit. Although, I don't know, I think it's kind of a smaller snowstorm compared to like what everyone was thinking. They're like, oh my God, we're going to get like two feet of snow and we're all going to be trapped in our houses. Like it was like this big deal. And then we got the snowstorm and there's like not that much snow. Like it's a pretty healthy amount of snow for Michigan, but it's nothing like crazy. But my school shut down for two days and... I'm not working for those two days because I work at the school. So slay, 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 slay. I had time to watch a movie and I ended up watching three movies and not just three movies. I watched the entire first season or miniseries. I'm not sure if it's a miniseries or just a first season of shit. Um, I was just going to say it off. Let me, I have to like look it up because I don't even know what it's called. And once you hear, you're going to be like, oh, that's why you don't know why, what it's called. It is called The Woman in the House Across the Street from the Girl in the Window. It's a mouthful. <laughs> and I kind of just want to say something on that real quick. So if you know me, you would know that I like to spend my summers reading trashy domestic thrillers. I love a domestic thriller. Gillian Flynn, sign me the fuck up. The woman in the window, sign me the hell up. Which I guess the guy who wrote that's like a crazy sociopath. Um, I can't remember his name or else I would um, repeat or I would say the name, but I can't remember. But something, I almost said Alex Jones. <laughs> but I think it's AJ Finn. Don't quote me on that. I don't know. And if it isn't AJ Finn and I'm accusing AJ Finn of being a sociopath, I'm sorry. But there's an article. I don't remember. Just look up AJ Finn lying scandal or something. He was like lying about his mom having cancer and 
like, I don't know, like threatening his coworker or something. I don't fucking remember saying he worked for, did he say it was like Jennifer Aniston or someone? Mm, this is going to drive me crazy. Should I look it up on the podcast? Should I do a live read along with you guys? Um, let's see. AJ Finn, two N's, I believe. Oh, that was right. AJ Finn controversy. If it, I, it was from the New Yorker. So the New Yorker did this article. I know this has nothing to do with film. Although Amy Adams did do a movie adaption of The Woman in the Window last year for Netflix, which was kind of a, mm, a flop. It was a flop. I didn't mind the movie. I thought it wasn't good, but it was kind of like mm, bad. Um, <laughs> oh, I didn't mention what that series was. The one I just said, what was, what did I, what is it called? The woman in the house across the street from the girl in the window. So basically who cares what AJ Finn read the fucking article. I don't know if he said he was an assistant for, I don't remember. He said he was like, he like worked with a celebrity or something and they were like, um, no, he didn't. Um, basically he just lied about fucking everything and kind of lied about some really shitty things, but that kind of makes me want to read his second book if he ever writes one, because I don't know, the fact that he might be crazy is funny to me, but also if I'm like making part of that up about the, um, celebrity that he worked with, I don't know, maybe I feel bad. Mm, do I feel bad? No, I don't. So this show, The Woman in the House Across the Street from the Girl in the Window. And yes, every time I said that, I had to read it because I don't know. It's basically, not basically, it's a spoof of like domestic thrillers like The Woman in the Window. And it's on Netflix, stars um, Kristen Bell. And I thought it was delightfully hilarious because, I don't know, maybe because I just love those books even though I like, I love those tropes and I think how they did it was so funny and weirdly subtle. Like it was a very subtle spoof to the point where a lot of people watching it didn't realize it was a spoof. And I was reading reviews and they were like, why were all the characters making dumb choices and saying stupid, like stupid dialogue? That was the point. Like, did you not watch the show? Did you not like, I, did you not see the comically large wine glass she's drinking from or the massive bowl of cork, like what corks? Do they just call them corks? Like wine corks? It's clearly a, like the ending, the last episode, the killer reveal, even though I totally guessed that from like episode one, which I don't know, I guess like the show isn't meant to be like so twisty and turny unless it's like for comedic effect because they're making fun of thrillers, but, um, like, I don't know how people didn't understand that it was a spoof. Like it was a straight spoof. It wasn't even just like people are like, it's satire. I don't think it was like sat, like it's a like straight stupid ass spoof, like Austin Powers spoof, like straight up spoof. It was hilarious in like a way that I just wasn't expecting. Like I thought it was going to be even, I don't know. I don't know. I w it was just, it pleasantly surprised me. It's like 30 minute episodes. There's eight of them. So I watched it in like four hours and great time. I loved it, but go into it knowing that it's a spoof. 
because some of these people, they're like giving it a one on IMDb and all these things like not getting that it was a joke. And I'm just kind of shocked at that because I thought it was very, very obvious. Um, although I am kind of contradicting myself because I was like, it's subtle because it kind of is because it plays it as almost, I don't know. It's like subtle, but it's not subtle. If that makes sense. It's just so bizarre that it's obviously not serious. And I mean, just read the fucking title. I'm going to read it again. The woman in the house across the street from the girl in the window. How do you look on Netflix and you're like, ooh, this looks good and not think that that title is a joke. I don't know. I don't know. But I did watch that. Highly recommend. I thought it was hilarious. And I love Kristen Bell. I loved her since Veronica Mars. I'm a huge Veronica Mars fan. Um, So I recommend that. But I woke up this morning. I'm like, I'm going to watch a childhood favorite. And that childhood favorite was the Let Me Get the Right Year because the way I chose these, I, judging by the title that you have already read, it is a trilogy of sorts, a David Arquette trilogy. So I started with Sea Spot Run from 2001, which was directed by John Witzel, I think is how you pronounce his name. He recently directed Holiday, starring Emma Roberts on Netflix, which I very much enjoyed and I will not apologize for it. I know some people think that that movie was shit or something. I thought she was a fun time, <laughs> a fun little Christmas movie, although it's kind of not a Christmas movie if you think about it. But you know what? This movie was quite the nostalgia trip because I have not seen it in so long. It was, when I said childhood favorites, it was a childhood favorite. I watched it all the time. It brings back memories of my grandmother. I said that like she's dead. She's not dead. Um, maybe dead to me. No, I'm just kidding. I don't, well, maybe I am. Maybe I'm not. You know what? Whatever. But I used to watch that with her all the time as a kid. And it is typical family fun fair with a movie, a kid's movie about a dog. Okay. It's about, it's a dog comedy. But I, let me just mention the other ones that I watched. Then I watched Eight-Legged Freaks from 2002. And then I watched Ready to Rumble in 2000. So let me paint the picture of this trilogy, this proposed trilogy that I have created in my brain. Each movie came out in consecutive years. So it starts with Ready to Rumble, C-Spot Run, and then Eight-Legged Freaks. Now, what do those movies have in common? Obviously, David Arquette is the leading man, which we are going to get into. But what else do you think is in common? I'll give you a second. Do, 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 Okay, so they all have three three words in the title. And that is my trilogy. Um, the David Arquette Comes in Threes trilogy. And I don't really have that many thoughts on each of these movies, but I do just kind of want to, I want to chit chat. I want to have fun. I want to chat with my besties on, well, I don't know. Do I have that many besties? Because I don't have that many listeners. Let's be real. But I do want to give a shout out to someone in Germany who has listened to every single episode or at least a lot of episodes because I see the little map 
in my analytics on whatever, what my feed thing, I don't know. I don't know how to describe it. My whatever feed, um, the thing that sends out my podcast, um, on my map, it looks like a, what is it called? I was supposed to say, what's it called in movies? But it's like a real thing, like a temperature, you know, like those filters looks like a temperature, whatever, who cares? I'm spiraling on my, um, why did I just lose my train of thought? Anyway, I'm getting sidetracked. So, um, I can see someone in Germany is watching it a lot on my map. Also, I can see which of my fucking friends are actually watching or listening to my episodes because I see a color-coded map and I can kind of guess where you guys are in Michigan by city. I can see it by city and I see, I see it. So if you're listening to, actually, I guess you wouldn't be listening to this, but I was about to say, if you're listening to this and I might seem mad at you, it's because you're not listening to my fucking episodes, but clearly you're not listening to this. So you don't even care. (laughs) Anyway. I don't, you know, what I was going to say, I don't know if I want to start like in a chronological order of this um, proposed trilogy that I now think is canon, but I'm going to start in the order that I watch them. So I am going into watching C-Spot Run because I'm like, I'm going to watch some childhood favorites today. I think I was going to put in um, really the idea of that um, series that I was going to do, which I still think I'm going to do. I'm just not going to include C-Spot Run is seeing if these movies held up. And I, I'm not going to say the other movies I was going to look at because that's for future time. And I don't know if I'm actually ever going to do them. So whatever. I went into C-Spot Run and I really didn't have that many expectations on what it was going to be going into it. I actually thought it, I thought it, I really thought it wasn't going to be good. And, um, because it's, a kids movie from the 2000s, a live action kids movie from the 2000s, which I've, I was a connoisseur of those because I was a kid growing up in the 2000s. I was born in 1998. So, and it's like, it's a live action children's movie that features an animal. Those typically have a very much, they're like the same movie basically. Although this one was it surprised me a little bit. Even though I've seen it so many times, I couldn't remember it until I was watching and I was like, oh shit, I remember this. Like I used to think this was the funniest shit ever. Let me just, you know what? Let me, let me, I'm sure a lot of people listening to this don't know what C-Spot Run is because if you go on Letterboxd, 5.6 thousand people have logged it. So that's pretty low. It was released in 2001, and it stars David Arquette, Leslie Bibb, Michael Clark Duncan, Angus T. Jones, Anthony Anderson, Paul Sorvino, and Joe Vitarelli, I think is how you pronounce his name. Oh, and Steve Sharipa, I think is how you say his name. Don't quote me on that. And also, if I butchered it, Steve, I'm sorry, but he's the guy from um, The Sopranos. Anyway... Oh, and Kim Hawthorne. I might as well mention her because she's the only other person in this cast list. Although there was another person in this movie, the one lady who played like the witness protection lady, who is not in the cast list on Letterboxd. That's interesting. I don't even know who Kim Hawthorne is, was she? Oh, she was in Along Came a Spider. And then the rest I don't know. I'm getting sidetracked again. I am so sorry. But this movie, it stars 
Angus T. Jones, the kid from Two and a Half Men when he was very young. I think this was like his first movie or something. And David Arquette. And the reason I decided to watch another David Arquette movie was because I realized that no matter the movie that David Arquette is in, he is going to give it his all. And I highly enjoyed that. It made this movie so much more enjoyable because this is a children's movie from the 2000s that features an animal. Like, mm, we know what the quality is probably going to be like. So like, David Arquette didn't have to be so good in this movie but he did. He is, this man is never going to phone in a performance, ever. Find me a movie where David Arquette phoned in a performance. This is me waiting because it doesn't exist. <laughs> but I was just about to tell you what this movie is about because I know a lot of you people don't know what it is and I got sidetracked again. But this movie is basically about... I don't know why I'm saying it basically. This movie is about a dog who works in like the canine unit of the FBI who eats the testicle, one testicle, of a crime boss in the mafia or whatever. And when he is being shipped off in the witness protection program because this mafia boss wants this dog killed, he escapes and meets a young child who's being watched by his neighbor, a mailman played by David Arquette, who is like watching him because his mother is stuck in a trip and she can't get home and there's a bunch of gags in that. And David Arquette is over his is in over his head. He is irresponsible. He grew up with no family because they left him in a mailbox. I was watching this movie, totally did not remember David Arquette's character's backstory. And he's a mailman and they are just like, mm, I'm sorry you were left in a mailbox as a baby. Like, <laughs> <laughs> and they kept like, they really wanted the audience to know that. And I get it. They wanted it to be like, oh, he found his family in the end with this dog and this kid and his mom. Um, who clearly him and her will never work out. Um, <laughs> but I don't know why I thought that detail was so funny, maybe unintentionally funny. Maybe, I don't know, maybe they were self-aware, but <laughs> <sighs> I found it funny. And really, if you know anything about the 2000s, it was a very mean era, if you think about it. Everything about the 2000s was very mean. It was mean how we treat, like, comedy was very mean back then. Comedy, well, really commentary was mean. The way we talked about celebrities, the way we treated celebrities, even though it's still terrible to these, to this day, but I mean, like, if you think about, like, the Britney Spears in the 2000s, Lindsay Lohan, Paris Hilton, the way we talked about these women in the media, which I did discuss in my very first episode on how that kind of was. It's a very mean era in time, generally. This movie is no different. I think this movie has a bit of a mean streak, which I don't think is a bad thing. I think it makes it feel a little different than some of the childhood or I guess ch children's family movies of the 2000s. Although now that I'm thinking of it, it has been so long since I really watched a 
children's movie from the 2000s, so maybe they were all like this, but I'm assuming they weren't. This one felt mm, maybe a little bit more adult, not in its like subject matter, but the way they present the subject matter, and I kind of have a feeling that that was maybe in the movie felt very David Arquette, if that makes sense. Um, like his sense of humor. Like, I don't know if he just like breathed the new life into this movie because I will say, I don't think this movie would have been very watchable or like rewatchable without David Arquette because he is just such a weirdly quirky person. And even though all of his characters in everything he's ever done that I have seen is such a weird, quirky character, but they are quirky and weird in a different way. And I like that. I think he is very, it's just, I don't know, maybe it's just in the way of his, his eyes, his expressive eyes are just so different than what you would see anywhere. And that's where I want to really frame this episode in that David Arquette is so underrated and he had not a fair go, which we will discuss in our third movie. But I think David Arquette deserves a renaissance because, well, because he's just insanely talented. But the reason I think this might happen is because of Scream. I think this might, maybe we will get a David Arquette renaissance because he was so good in Scream 5. And he's just so lovable in that series that maybe he will get more bigger opportunities. He's very much a working actor. So he has quite a bit of credits to his name in IMDb. It's like over 100. It's like 140, which is a lot. That's a lot. Um, a lot of it is just like random shit. I don't want to say shit. I mean like shit as in a lot of it. Um, but also like mm, shit. But I think he elevates everything he possibly does that even if the movie is terrible, I'm still going to enjoy myself. I don't think I will ever watch a David Arquette movie where he plays a prominent role and not at least say, that was fun watching David Arquette. You know what I mean? Like this movie, C-Spot Run is a very ugly looking movie. It has some terrible fucking cinematography. Awful absolutely dreadful. Also, the jokes, a lot of them don't land. I'm not gonna lie. A lot of them don't land. But watching David Arquette make these jokes or just, it's not even just him making jokes. It's his mannerisms. Mannerisms. Mannerisms, that's the word. I, not to cut myself off, but I am on um, Letterboxd and I click the crew just because I wanted to make some, I wanted to fact check something one, there's one, two, three, four, five, six credited writers, but there is no person credited for the cinematography. So let me go on IMDb. So annoying. <laughs> C spot run. Anyway, this movie, what I wanted to fact check is that this movie is so god awfully ugly. Also, I just realized there's a couple other characters that are not credited on Letterboxd, which is just, that's odd very odd. Um, John S. Bartley was the cinematographer for this and it is truly, it just looks terrible. I don't think there's a single good shot in the movie. I'm not going to lie. But the weird thing is I thought John S. Bartley's cinematography in Eight-Legged Freaks, who he also was the cinematographer for, was weirdly really great. Like almost too good than it deserved but we'll get to that. But it looked so ugly. And I think my main issue with C-Spot Run 
was its awful editing. It was so fast and for what? It was editing just the conversations were edited so goddamn fast that it was just cut to the person, cut to the person, cut to person, cut to person, cut to person. That I couldn't even tell what anyone's facial expression was or reactions were to anything because it was just so fucking fast. But that aside, does it hold up? Mm, I gave it a three on Letterboxd, a three out of five. Is that justified? I don't know. Those stars might be just because David Arquette is just so crazy in this movie. All of his gags, all of his mannerisms, his weird energy was just enjoyable for me to watch. Also, I liked watching Anthony Anderson together. And then I was like, oh yeah, I totally forgot that he was in Scream 4 with David Arquette. But I also, I also think Angus T. Jones is very cute in this movie. He is, I've never seen Two and a Half Men. Like I've seen bits and pieces, like just in passing, if it was on TV and I was walking through the room. But I think him and David Arquette had a nice chemistry where it was like, aw, cute. <laughs> so does it hold up? Uh, I don't know. I think they were very good at selling this kid and this weird mailman who hates dogs and this big FBI agent dog and they're like weird wacky adventures against the mafia. I think, you know what? I think it worked. Does it look terrible? Yes, it looks horrendous. Also, my copy is in a DVD case that is like the cardboard one that has like the, um, like the snap thing that you like fold over, if you know what I'm talking about. Like it's one of those old DVD cases. If that gives you any idea of how great my quality of DVD was of watching this on my much larger TV than what I had in 2001. <laughs> but also like the music cues were a little weird. Like, I don't know. It almost felt like this was a very unprofessional movie that was somehow made with Anthony Anderson and David Arquette and Michael. Oh my God. What is his name? I don't want to be disrespectful. Michael Clark Duncan. I don't know why I couldn't remember that. Also Leslie Bibb. I don't know. It has a very good cast. Really. I think the entire cast is really good. I think this, would I say, if you're an adult, would I recommend this movie to you? No, I would not. Mm, no, I would not. Would I show this to a child? Mm. <laughs> I'm not very, I'm not selling this movie very much, am I? But if you're a child, would I recommend this to you? Mm. Yeah, you know what? I would probably watch this with a kid. I think they would enjoy it. I enjoyed it so much as a kid. I think it was right up my alley for this type of movie. It feels very David Arquette. So I think maybe if you want to watch a kid's movie that you can kind of enjoy, it's got David Arquette being absolutely off the wall, crazy and doing weird physical comedy that I think he might've done a lot of these stunts in this movie, just judging by his work with wrestling, which we're going to get into with Ready to Rumble. But you know what? I'm going to give it a thumbs up. I'm not going to be a hater. I give it three stars. I think it was cute. I like a good dog movie from the 2000s. 
Um, although the only one I can think of at the top of my head is Hotel for Dogs. And now I'm thinking, was that the 2000s or was that like 2010? I'm going to guess that came out in like 2008. Don't quote me on that, but I feel like I'm right. Um, but yeah, I really don't have much to say about it. So I was like, I don't even know if this whole series of does it hold up is going to work because do I have something to say about it? Not really. It's not a movie where much is going on. It is a children's movie, a live action one. Like, I feel like there's a lot to say about a lot of animated children's movies. This one was a very juvenile, juvenile humor, I should say, as in very David Arquette humor. Not in a bad way. I think his humor isn't for everybody, but um, like a juvenile humor type children's movie with a heartwarming story about a dog can be. Like, what else am I going to say about it? I think it is, you know what? Scratch everything I said. I recommend C-Spot Run. <laughs> is it a good movie? No. Realistically, it's probably a, I only give full stars. So I'd say like a two, but if I gave half, a one and a half. It isn't a, like it isn't like a well-crafted movie by any means, but it is so entertaining because David Arquette is in it and he's hanging out with a cute kid and a big massive ass dog and they're fighting off the mafia. But I forgot to mention the mean streak. I th I don't even know if I finished that point because I kind of just go all over the place. I don't want any of you people listen to this because my brain is in 20 directions at once. But this movie has like a weird mean streak where there was like moments where <laughs> this man just threw a dog out of like a three-story window. <laughs> also, a dog eats a man's testicle in the first scene. And then the end, he also eats the second testicle. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what else to say about it. I had fun watching it and maybe that was all nostalgia. Does it hold up as being an adult? Not really. But would I watch it again? Mm, probably. Not anytime soon, but maybe in like another 15 years, I'm like, oh yeah, C-Spot Run, that dog movie with David Arquette where he gets electrocuted with a dog collar and then he falls into a bunch of dog shit. Um, yeah. Oh, also, I didn't mention the big thing about this movie at all. And when I realized I was in love with David Arquette, isn't just because he will put his whole fucking pussy into a performance. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> but not just that, that he gives it his all in every single performance that in anything he is, even when the movie is not good. And you know, David Arquette knows if a movie's not good and he still gives it his all. Not just that, that I love him. He is blonde in this movie and I totally forgot about that. And when I watched it, I was like, oh my God, was this a gay awakening when I was a child? And then I was like, you know what? I'm in love with David Arquette on every sense of the word. Courtney Cox lost out big when she decided to divorce David Arquette. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, Courtney Cox. I should not have said that because I have seen um, David Arquette's documentary, You Cannot Kill David Arquette. And you know what? I don't know y'all personally, but I see why that didn't work out. 
but I love you both deeply. Anyway, so after I watched um, C-Spot Run, I am trying to come up with what I'm going to watch next. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to watch another David Arquette movie. So I remembered Eight-Legged Freaks. And I can't remember if I watched that as a child or if I just saw an ad for it in one of my like tapes or something. And Eight-Legged Freaks is quite the movie. It came out in, let me get this right because I know they all came out consecutively. I believe it was 2000. Yeah, nope. I lied, 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 lied. 2002. And it stars David Arquette, obviously. Carrie Wooher. Don't know her. Doug E. Doug. Wait a minute. This man's name is Doug E. Doug. <laughs> Why is that funny to me? I don't know. But also Scarlett Johansson. I'm sorry, I can't get over Doug E. Doug. Like Doug, the letter E for a middle name. Doug. Hold up, everyone. I need to Google this man. Doug E. Doug. Oh, he's a stand-up comedian. Okay, well, I'm... I can't get over that name. I think that is the funniest thing I've ever heard. Anyway, Eight-Legged Freaks. It stars quite a large cast of characters, but honestly, I don't know who any of these people are. No disrespect to them. I just don't know who they are, so I'm not going to say their names. Oh, that's kind of rude, but I'm also, I'm not going to go through their entire cast list. Um, <laughs> but Eight-Legged Freaks is basically a big B-movie horror, a B-horror movie, or B-movie horror movie. I was about to say, it's a big B-movie horror movie, but that doesn't sound right. But it's a B-movie, a monster movie, a creature feature, and it knows exactly what it is, which is ridiculous, and it has the most fun with it. So, spoiler alert, I loved it. I absolutely loved it. Eight-legged freaks. I gave it a four out of five. Now, should it be lower? Probably. It's a very light four. Mm, closer to three, but I'm going to give it a four just because I think it's fun. And I think it hit the right tone that this movie needed to. And like I mentioned, it weirdly looked very good to me. Like I was watching it and I was like, wow, that was a good shot there. Or wow, I really liked the lighting in this scene. It's lit very well. It's staged very well. I really like this. I love the wonky CGI spiders. Oh, I didn't mention it's about a small town who is infested with large, massive spiders. And it's like weird, wacky characters in the small town have to fight them off. And it is so fun. It is so fun. And I cannot recommend it enough. I really can't. It's on Netflix right now. American Netflix. Sorry to the person in Germany. Don't know if it's in Netflix over there. Use a VPN or whatever. I don't know. Maybe a VPN should sponsor me and I'll give them an ad. But <laughs> I thought this movie was a delight. and. 
highly underrated. And when I was watching, I was kind of like, wow, this really needs more David Arquette, even though he was the top billed person in the movie, like his name came before the credit of or the title card, I believe. Don't quote me on that. But I think when I watched, I was like, wow, good for David Arquette. But while I was watching, I was like, you know what? The writing doesn't develop these wacky characters enough to where I felt like I needed more David Arquette. And I needed to know more about who he was and kind of his relationship with these people. So is it my favorite like David Arquette movie? Mm, No. And honestly, I feel like the reason behind this wasn't actually the script. And this is just a theory I have. It's not like... um, I know nothing. I don't know anything about it. So don't quote me on it. But I feel like the movie was much longer than what the end product was. And they had to cut a lot out. And I feel like you can tell. But also, like, who cares? It is a movie about giant spiders attacking a lot, like a small town. I don't know what else you could possibly want from that. Like, it is funny. It is cute. It is fun. It looks great. And I don't know if I'm just crazy because I feel like a film snob, which would never be me. That's a half lie. Half sees, half sees a lie. But I feel like they're like, "Mm, this movie looked like shit. But honestly, I kept watching this and I was like, "Mm, this looks good. I don't know how the same man shot C-Spot Run also shot this because it has some great landscape shots. I thought every, honestly, I'm going to go out and say not a bad shot. I thought it was pleasant, a pleasant visual surprise. Um, The tone was the right amount of camp. The using perfume on a spider, spraying it, and the spider going like, oh, bitch, disgusting. Like, that whole reaction between the spider was hilarious. And I thought David Arquette and his weirdness just elevated it. And honestly, I don't have much to say about it because I didn't do any research. (laughs) I'm just having a chat. And I recommend Eight-Legged Freaks because how could you not recommend a movie that has the title Eight-Legged Freaks? Like, It's like if Sharknado was actually good. Like, that's the type of movie you should be expecting. It is over the top, but it knows it's over the top. It is is recreating those 50s creature features, but for a modern audience. And I think the movie holds up pretty well. Um, It is fun to watch a young Scarlett Johansson who... Did she already do Lost in Translation at that point? I feel like she did, right? Or did that come out later? Did that come out in 2004? That's my next guess. 2003. Oh my god, my voice cracked. Yes, puberty or COVID. (gasps) Anyway, so it came out the year after. Yeah, it's fun to watch a young Scarlett Johansson and then a David Arquette fight off big massive spiders. What else is there to say? Nothing. So now let me get into my third movie. I did not know what to watch of David Arquette. And then I realized that, oh, this movie came out in 2000. So it works a year after year after year. I've chosen three movies from three consecutive years. 
and then is ready to rumble. And I clicked it, looking at it, who's in it, and I realized Rose McGowan is also in this movie. And if you know anything about anything, David Arquette and Rose McGowan played siblings in screen, iconically. And then I saw that they were love interests in this movie, and I was like, that feels disgusting, very incestuous, but now I must discover what this movie is about because it looked pretty crazy and I'm here to say that oh also I wanted to watch this movie because I realized it is the movie that led to the downfall I'll say of David Arquette's career um I watched the You Cannot Kill David Arquette documentary quite a a bit ago when it first came out a couple years ago Was that like in 2020? I feel like it came out in 2020. And that movie, if you don't know anything about David Arquette, he is a heavyweight champion in the WCW. Is that what I don't, I know nothing about wrestling, but I think that was like the WWE before WWE. Eh, Wrestling fans don't come for me. Actually do it. I don't care because I don't give a fuck about wrestling. But it was a stunt that they pulled to have him become a heavyweight champion to promote this movie, Ready to Rumble, which I believe was made by the WCW. Don't quote me on any of this because I literally don't know. I am just inferring. And also I read a little bit of Wikipedia. (laughs) And this movie is obviously about wrestling. So he won the heavyweight championship and I guess the wrestling fans were like disgusted with that. And they turned on David Arquette and he became a joke to a lot of people. Not to me, couldn't be me because I love that man, clearly. But um, it definitely hurt his career. And the uh, documentary, You Cannot Kill David Arquette, is basically him trying to redeem himself, especially in the wrestling world. And it is a fascinating watch. I thought, I feel like I learned a lot about David Arquette and just his weird eccentric eccentric persona, which I don't think is a persona. I think is his actual life, which when I mentioned the, I see why you and Courtney Cox didn't um, end up together, that um, I originally I thought I was going to cut that. This is obviously pre-editing, so I might still cut it, but, um, I don't mean that as a negative. I just found that their dynamics, like you could, I don't know, their level of, I don't know. I don't know them, so I'm not going to speak on it, but (laughs) just by judging them together, you can, I could just see like, oh, I see why they didn't work out. Even though, I was pleasantly surprised, although I guess I wasn't that surprised because they did do Scream 4 when they were separating, um, that they seemed still very close and they, there really wasn't any hard feelings, which I was like, oh, that's nice. Um, although maybe there was because when I was watching the Scream 5 press junkets, um, I feel like she might've been a little annoyed with him. (laughs) But you know what? She deserves to be because she knows him more than probably anyone else. Mm, That's a lie. He's also married and she seemed to a different woman and she seemed very lovely. But um, it is a very interesting documentary that I think gives a 
deeper look into David Arquette and I highly recommend it. It was, I think it might be on Hulu. It's very interesting. Also like David Arquette's, the Arquette family, I think is kind of fascinating. Um, like Rosanna, Patricia, um, what is the other one's name? There's another one. Let me, give me one second. Give me one second. David Arquette. Why can I not remember their name? Uh, Alexis Arquette. That was her name. Um, there's Rosanna, Patricia, Alexis, and David. And obviously people know who Patricia and everyone knows the Arquette family. Okay. I just find that their whole upbringing is kind of fascinating. So I highly recommend watching this documentary. Um, it's super fun. Obviously David Arquette's in it. He's the focal point. It's going to be crazy. So I recommend. So anyway, this movie ready to rumble stars, David Arquette and Scott can and Oliver Platt. And I don't know how to describe this movie. I gave it two stars and that's very generous, extremely generous. I actually think it is almost unwatchable, but I still gave it two stars. And I think that is because my view of it is this movie was clearly not made for me. It was made for the average 10 year old boy. And I think that is perfectly fine. That is great. 10-year-old boys deserve a movie. I feel like the average 10-year-old boy, and I should clarify the straight 10-year-old boy, like I don't think I would have liked this movie as a 10-year-old, but I think the average one would. But I do think this movie was so bizarrely gay. And I don't just mean like, I'm just like making a joke, like, oh, this movie was so gay. Like this movie's gay. <laughs> it wasn't like, oh, they're gay characters, but it was just speaking of subtext, which when I brought that up about rope is also gay subtext. That is also not subtext because it's so explicitly gay. But this also I felt like was so explicitly gay with its subtext that it can't even be described as subtext anymore. But... <laughs> This whole movie was like about how David Arquette's dad, which also like David Arquette was like, what, 30 making this movie? Maybe even older than 30? Uh, he was like around 30, I think, making Ready to Rumble. And these characters played as teenagers? I don't know. It was very confusing. Also, like David Arquette's character loses his virginity in the movie. He tells his dad. I don't know if they were like trying to riff off or rip I don't want to say I get rip off like dumb and dumber like have that kind of vibe or <laughs> what it was just a weird tone I like didn't know but like this whole movie was about like his father didn't understand him and didn't agree with his lifestyle and um came to end up loving him in the end and also like the end was like <laughs> the two main characters are like, we're two men who love each other. And like, they're like really pushing that, like fighting against the toxic masculinity. And when I mean, like when I said that, like they genuinely say that in the movie, I don't know if they use, um, we're two men who love each other. Maybe it was, it was something like that. Like they explicitly say it. I'm not just like 
that's what the meaning of the movie was. Like, no, they were saying, we love each other and that's okay that we're men who love each other. Like, I was like, wow, for a movie made for 10-year-old boys, it is very bizarre that this movie is so gay. Um, But I feel like the average 10-year-old boy would have loved watching this at like a sleepover. Like, this is, that's the type of movie I think Ready to Rumble is. The humor is very um, 10-year-old boy. <laughs> like, David Arquette shoves his finger up his asshole and then has a gas station clerk sniff it. Um, yeah. <laughs> I hated it, but also I kind of appreciated it because watching this movie, I was like, this movie should not exist. It is such a piece of shit and it is so otherworldly bizarre, so colorfully weird that I kind of respected it. And I said, you know what? I'm going to give this two stars. Should it be a one? Yes. It should be a one. And in fact, if I gave it half C's, I'd give it a half star. But I think even with its awful humor filled with fart jokes, many fart jokes, many shit jokes, a lot of um, kicking people in the balls. I think maybe there were an average of six people kicked in the balls every three minutes. Um, It was competently made. (laughs) And it was like colorful. It had like a fun aesthetic. I don't know. It was also like, of course, David Arquette gives it his all. So it's like, okay, if you're a 10 year old boy who likes wrestling, yeah, I'd recommend it. I would. Also, maybe if you like wrestling, I'd recommend it because I guess like a lot of these people are real wrestlers. So maybe it's like a fun time in that sense. Um, it's a little mean-spirited, I ain't gonna lie, but also the 2000s are always mean-spirited, so maybe if, if you like that kind of comedy, maybe this one's for you. I don't know. I do find it fascinating that this was the start of a very low point for David Arquette, considering, or when thinking about fame and how he was viewed by people. It is, it's a weird movie. I really enjoyed Rose McGowan, too. I thought her, like, I don't know, I thought the some of the jokes that were made partly at her expense um not her as a person um but i would say the jokes aren't exactly um feminist we'll say <laughs> i don't think they were making fun of rose as a person but um i feel like you know the type of jokes they were <laughs> Um, also I kind of feel like she really didn't want to be there. I did read like on IMDb trivia that she thought the movie was a piece of shit and threw the script away three times before she decided to do it. And obviously those can be written by anyone. So I don't know if that's true, but judging by the end product, I feel like it was true. Maybe she did it because David Arquette was in it and they maybe, maybe she enjoyed working with him on screen. I don't know. I think she really, um, distanced herself from Scream, well, really everything, but especially Scream. I read a quote recently. Um, Well, there's something in the Scream movie, and this isn't a spoiler, but it is for the um, shout out to Wes, the four Wes sequence that is in the movie. 
um, I found out that there was a lot of people from the original Scream movies who provided their voice to the like the crowd or whatever, including like Drew Barrymore, Adam Brody, Hayden Panettiere, like people from all of the, I think every Scream movie had someone. I think also um, Jamie Kennedy was involved in that. Um, I saw something that said Rose McGowan was asked to lend her voice to the movie. So I'm assuming that is what the movie, or that is what, where she would have been added. Her voice would have been added. But um, she had a very negative response to it, rightfully so, I will say, because of her um, experience with the Weinsteins. Um, And she might have been alleging that Kevin Williamson very much knew about this and he was trying, he was involved in this movie and she just didn't want to be involved with that. And um, that is completely valid and understandable. I don't know where I was going with this. Oh, because I don't know. I don't know if she even liked David Arquette. I don't know if she liked anyone from Scream because of her experience with the Weinsteins and them coming back to the movie. I don't know. I don't know their relationships, but I thought it was kind of bizarre that she agreed to be in this movie. Um, but I did, I enjoyed her in the movie. I enjoyed seeing her and David Arquette in the movie together. It was kind of, um, funny, I guess, being such a huge Scream fan. I didn't even know, I didn't really know this movie existed, let alone that they were both in it and they had some not so sibling scenes together. (laughs) Um, but would I recommend Ready to Rumble? Oh, I already said that. Mm, Not really, unless you fit a very, like, it's a very niche movie if you're a 10-year-old boy who likes wrestling. Yes, I would recommend this 100,000%. I think I did laugh at, like, maybe a few scenes. I felt like the latter with Rose McGowan was kind of funny, even though... I don't know. It was a cheap joke, cheap shot. I don't know. I know I chuckled at a few scenes, but also a lot of them I was like, yeah, this is really bad. Like I really don't want to be watching this. <laughs> but David Arquette was watchable and it's a colorful, weird experience. And it's also weirdly gay about accepting yourself and maybe your father accepting you. I don't know. It was just, it was a fever dream of a movie. And do I regret, oh my God, do I regret watching it? No. Would I watch it again? Absolutely not. I don't think I'll ever, actually, I know, I know for a fact I will never watch this movie ever again, but I don't regret watching it. (laughs) So I gave C-Spot Run a a generous three. I gave Eight-Legged Freaks a generous four. And I gave Ready to Rumble a generous two. But that leads me to my closing discussion on David Arquette, which this episode was much longer than I anticipated it being. But I thought this was going to be a 40 minute episode because I really didn't have much to say about these movies. But I think after watching these movies that are not typically like not objectively great movies. I'm sure all of them have their audiences. I genuinely enjoyed Eight-Legged Freaks, but I know that's not for everyone. It's not a movie that I think a lot of studios at the moment would want to produce, at least big studios. But 
watching him do these movies that clearly aren't like great movies or like you know what you're getting when you are watching it. You're not expecting some great performance or whatever. I just think he gives it his all and is so entertaining to watch and so fun and so zany and weird and different that I think Hollywood needs to give David Arquette another shot at being a leading man. Don't let this WCW, which if it's not WCW, which I never heard of before I read it, and maybe it's not a real thing and I'm making it up or I'm like, miss, I'm getting the name wrong, but I'm pretty sure it was called WCW. Now, again, it's going to bother me. So let me look WCW. Actually, it might be. Nope, it's not in there. Look, WCW. World Championship Wrestling. Okay, so that was the thing. Mm, now I forgot what I was saying. Oh, yeah. Don't let this thing with the WCW and wrestling fans deter you from having David Arquette in your movies. And now that I've seen these three movies, and even though some of them, particularly Ready to Rumble, is not terrible. I still had such a good time because of David Arquette. And there, after watching them and realizing that, I was like, I really need to start watching all of these David Arquette movies that he has done. Particularly, I've always wanted to watch Bone Tomahawk. And I know it's good. I've heard so many good things about it. Maybe it's not good. I don't know. I'm... <laughs> I don't know. But that is one I really want to watch um, that I think will be good. Yeah, all these people seem to really like it. It has Kurt Russell, Matthew Fox, Patrick Wilson. I need to watch this movie. Um, but I've seen Spree. I've seen Sharkboy and Lava Girl and The Ring Kiss, Buffy the Vampire's Lair. I've seen all these. But there's so many others that I need to watch. And when did Bone Tomahawk come out? That came out in 2015. Okay, so we got 2015. I heard 12 Hour Shift was pretty good. Um, which came out in 2020, which he was also in. And then Scream 5, maybe we can have this David Arquette renaissance. Just maybe. And I truly, truly, truly hope that we do. I will be delving into more of his filmography, whether I think it will be good or not. Because I know for a fact that I'm going to at least joy, enjoy one thing in a movie, and that is David Arquette's performance. So all the Hollywood girlies out there listening to this podcast, because I know all the Hollywood bigwigs are listening. <laughs> Hire David Arquette now or else. Thank you. That is my argument. <laughs> it wasn't a very concise argument and I didn't have much, that much to say, but it was an argument nonetheless. David Arquette, I'm in love with you. Thank you. <laughs> that's all I have to say in this episode thank you so much for listening and I don't know when you'll hear from me again because I again feel not great about this podcast and I'm just kind of struggling with work and life and I haven't been feeling like I I've been feeling funny. I think the issue that I have mainly with this podcast is I don't have a co-host, so I don't have someone to bounce off of. And sometimes I feel self-conscious about that. 
because I feel like maybe I'm boring and mm, I probably am. But you know what? I don't care. I'm having fun. So I'm going to keep doing this and don't know when it will be. Don't know what I'll talk about. But I hope if you enjoyed this, only if you enjoyed this, <laughs> that you give me a good review on Apple Podcasts. And if you didn't enjoy this, then keep your mouth shut, like I usually say, because I don't want to hear it. <laughs> and then if you enjoyed this, also, if you didn't enjoy this, follow the Instagram page, uh, film.degree, um, and let me know of any other movies that I should cover, because I there's so many movies to cover, and then when I'm trying to come up with one, I'm like, mm, I don't know what to watch. There's nothing to watch. But yeah, thank you for listening and go see Scream 5 in theaters because I'm very happy that it surpassed Scream 4's box office, but we need it to do even better. And yes, go watch some David Arquette movies, especially Eight-Legged Freaks on Netflix. Thank you so much for listening and you'll hear from my loud, annoying ass again. Bye!